Reading, short and deep. Hi, this is Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep The Dog and the Horse by Voltaire, which is uh, chapter three of the Book of Zadig uh, by Voltaire. And I think it stands pretty well on its own, but I do think it's highly connected to uh, other works, not just the the book that it's extracted from. Um, what do you think, Eric? I think that it does stand on its own. I enjoyed reading it when you suggested that we might want to have a conversation about this. And I enjoyed reading it a lot more when I went over it a second and third time because pieces of it are so scintillatingly witty and the irony runs throughout so nicely. I also agree that it it somehow resonates with other things, uh, which to me raises a question. To what extent does one's awareness of those resonances change or, or deepen um, or neither? One sense of the story, I guess, the, the general way to pose that problem for literature overall is what does it mean if you don't catch the reference? Are you just one kind of an audience to a work and the people who do catch the reference are another part of the audience? Um, or are they different audiences? Do they become different works? Uh, l- let me give you a, an example. There's, you know, the, the French system of explication de text, that famous way of burrowing deeper and deeper into a work of literature that um, is taught in, in French schools. Um, I came upon a, uh, a site that does an explication de text uh, for this particular story. And the, uh, the s- kind of thematic summary that's given says, I'll translate it into English, uh, this uh, extract from chapter three, it is just a piece of the story that I have here. This extract from chapter three is a philosophical, of the, from the philosophical tale Zadig, um, condemns the bad functioning of the French justice system um, under the idea of being a um, an oriental um, performance. Um, uh, the word mosque means, or an actual mask, but it also is a kind of theatrical performance. So the French is cet extradio chapitre 3 du con philosophique Zadig condon les mauvaises fonctionnements de la justice française derrière, behind le masque oriental, behind the oriental mask. Mm-hmm. So, and then it just says, again, I'll translate into English, Zadig, the hero, um, with his uh, romantic disillusionments, um, retires from um, to the country in order to study nature. So that's what's going on. Uh, Zadig uh, is looking for love. Uh, it doesn't work out. He goes to the country to study nature. And then we get this story, which is, according to the person who does the explication of the text, simply a an ironic or a metaphorical condemnation of the bad functioning of the French justice system. And I have to say, it does seem a little bit like a, a, a critique of the bad functioning of the, or if not a critique, at least a statement of the bad functioning of the French justice system, I guess, 
contemporary to uh, to Voltaire. This this was um, published first in 1747. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that there's a heck of a lot more going on, and in a sense, um, saying that that's what this is maybe is hyper specific. You know, like I if I were to no, say. Yeah. You know, um, my daughter, ah, my daughter, now there's a woman with blue eyes. Well, mm. you know, w- what would that mean? Uh, mm. Besides the fact that it's wrong since her eyes are green. Um, you know, it leaves out a whole lot so much that it really is a misrepresentation. Is this a misrepresentation to say that this story we've just read, The Dog and the Horse, is a s- satire of the French justice system? Uh, I would say that it is. Uh, at the very least, a a very small slice of what's going on in this story. I've read. Uh, I haven't read all of the book of Zadig. I, I have read uh, Candide, and I'm positive there are many satires going on with regard to current French politics and so social events and such. Um, and I am aware of almost none of them. And yet, the book is extremely valuable. Um, Despite its uh, pop culture of the you know seventeenth century eighteenth century um, value, right? So yeah, this outside of of all of that stuff, this is also the very first, I think, very arguably detective story, which is not saying nothing. It's a, <laughs> it's a big deal. Good point. Okay, so let me propose this then. Um, why don't we talk about this as a prototype for the detective story? Mm-hmm. And since that has to do with the idea of revealing that which is to most people hidden, once we've got that um, somewhat explicated, we could take a look at revealing what might be to many people hidden in this story. Okay. So, this is a proto-detective story, you say? Yeah, uh, especially in the Sherlock Holmes, uh, C. Auguste Dupin style. Um, That is, the detective Zadig, um, not even on the case, manages to infer great um, knowledge about the world around him and what's been happening without um, great difficulty. Uh, Sherlock Holmes would say uh, he is seeing, not observing. Or no, he's observing, not seeing, right? Um, and that is exactly what gets him into trouble and why this is a comedy, is that he wasn't trying to solve any crimes. But when crimes occurred and he has knowledge of how what those crimes are, it appears that he is the criminal. But I, I think maybe a little plot summary is in order here. I think you're right. Right. So Zadig, um, because he has uh, uh, had some emotional discomfort, maybe we can return to the first couple of paragraphs mm-hmm. to talk about that, uh, goes off into the country, uh, goes to his country house uh, on the banks of the Euphrates, and he studies nature. Not all of nature, he particularly notes the properties of plants and animals, and he develops the ability to see these things so clearly that he notices, a dis- it says he discovers a thousand differences where other men see nothing but uniformity. 
Mm-hmm. So one day he's out walking near a little wood, and one of the queen's eunuchs comes running by who says, young man, hast thou seen the queen's dog? And uh, Zadig says, it is a bitch um, and not a dog. And then he goes on to describe um, her age and uh, that she's recently had uh, a litter and that she's lame in one foot. And the fellow says, oh, you've seen her? And he says, no, not at all. Um, and while they're talking, um, along comes a huntsman who says, you know, have you seen the king's horse? And again, Zadig describes the horse in great detail, including its trappings. Um, mm-hmm. And the huntsman says, oh, you've seen it. And he says, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> and they won't believe him, and therefore they arrest him for lying, and he is condemned them to pay uh, for to the knout, which is a, a torture with a, a, a whip that has multiple thongs, and to pay 400 uh, ounces of gold. Uh, the fact that he actually is able to do it suggests that whoever Zadig is, he's pretty wealthy. Um, I think that gets us to the point you were talking about, that he's, mm-hmm. he knows, seems to know stuff. And he's become a detective because he says, no, I haven't seen them. And then, and then what happens? Right. So... He uh, is taken before the king and is uh, uh, says his his confession, which is I haven't seen them. However, I did observe uh, while walking. I saw uh, the marks of animal whose dugs were hanging down into the dust, and her feet with a less impression on one foot. And then I saw. Uh, swishes of a horse's tail in the dust and the branches of a tree on either side so I could calculate the the width of the tail and the height of the horse by the horse's swishes of its tail and it rubbed itself on a touchstone that I have myself used so I could detect that it had gold uh, gold halter and and, uh, silver silver horseshoes and so he can describe perfectly just as Sherlock Holmes can um, what somebody's profession is, what they've been doing lately, that they used to be in the army in India and have recently come to England and are now getting married. <laughs> <laughs> All of the sort of the trademark uh, Poirot, uh, Sherlock Holmes, C. Auguste Dupin style um, detective flourishes. Right. Uh, now, what makes this historically so terrific, I think, from uh, what you're pointing us to, is that uh, Dupin, um, who is Poe's detective hero, um, and some people would say that uh, in the Purloined Letter, 1844, Poe is the first one to actually nail the exact form of the tale of the great detective. Uh, mm-hmm. That is, you've got uh, you've got to match your mind with the evildoer. You've got the detective. You have his someone in his acquaintance actually narrating. So we don't get to see what's in the detective's mind till he tells us what it is. We have a puzzle which has been demonstrated to be insoluble, and then we have the fantastic. Um, and I mean that word literally, um, the fantastic revelation of what is in fact impossible to reveal. Uh, and then the, the story ends with this explanation. That story, The Purloined Letter with C. Auguste Dupin, is 1844. That's just about 100 years earlier 
I mean later than Voltaire. And mm -hmm. the story you were referring to, well, Sherlock Holmes, uh, um, he first gives us one of those Sherlock Holmes revelations um, in The Study in Scarlet, A Study in Scarlet, which is his first, uh, Doyle's first published Holmes story. That's 1887. So mm -hmm. here, Voltaire, 140 years before Sherlock Holmes is giving us a character with a flat-out Holmes explanation. Mm -hmm. The question is, are we getting here a, uh, a prototype of the detective story, or are we retrospectively able to recognize that the, the tale of the great detective is actually a branch of science fiction? It is, and that's 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 the cool part is is that I don't think Voltaire is saying I'm going to invent uh, detective fiction with this story. It is a much a small event in a much larger tapestry that is a philosophical novel, and in all such philosophical novels, it, it's about exploring reality, which detective fiction is also about. So the traditional, you know, the locked room mystery, right? Mm -hmm. The traditional way of solving this is not to, you know, use a teleporter. <laughs> it is to say, no, the laws of physics apply and the current technology applies. And yet um, the things appear as they do. How did this uh, naturalistic event happen given that it seems to violate the laws of nature? Um, not all mysteries are of that kind. Uh, Agatha Christie's are more more who done it rather than how how did done. But I think there there's some some very close connection between that style of Sherlock Holmes detective fiction and science fiction, and you see it in the readership. People who read science fiction often read Sherlock Holmes, and people who read Sherlock Holmes often read science fiction. Indeed, um, just as there are people who would say that Poe is the first one to fully crystallize the, the scheme uh, for the template for the tale of the great detective with the purloined letter, there are those who would say that in uh, stories like the facts in the case of Monsieur Valdemar, um, Poe, which is I think 1843, um, Poe is the first one to crystallize a template for what we would call the science fiction short story. It's not the mm -hmm. first science fiction. I mean, a lot of people would point to different things, but um, certainly we have science fiction by the time we have Frankenstein in 18, uh, 1818, but that's a novel. As far mm -hmm. as short stories go, um, it may be Poe, uh, 25 years later, who's giving us the real science fiction short story, and in that same decade, the real um story of, uh, of the tale of the great detective poe called both of those kinds of stories since detective stories and science fiction were un unavailable terms mm -hmm. poe actually put both of those kinds of stories together as one kind of story mm -hmm. and called them tales of ratiocination a fun word uh, indeed and was, the point was that these were stories in which the reader was engaged by having a challenge made to his ability to ratiocinate, to be able to think through rationally. And I'll remind uh, myself, actually, because I think it's so cool. The word ratiocinate and the word rational 
are in mm. fact from the word ratio. That is, they come from being able to know the proportionalities of things, the relationship between one number and another. Three-fourths is a ratio, and to be rational means to be able to know how things fit with other things. Poe thought that stories of science fiction and stories of great detectives were actually alike in that they asked us to solve what was going on, to use our ability to be rational. But I think, as you said before, that science fiction is about the world. I don't think the dog and the horse are only about being rational. I think, in fact, being rational itself comes in for a critique in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Voltaire is, is he's always quick to poke fun, especially at himself and his characters. And it, it, it undercuts the detective fiction aspect of this story because he doesn't use his powers later on to, to become the great detective. In fact, he shuts up. <laughs> right. He, he discovers near the end of the story uh, that he will get in trouble if he uses his powers. So he, when observing uh, some <laughs> consequences of reality, he says, no, I didn't see anything. And uh, that gets him into trouble, too. So this is a classic Voltaire. Uh, you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Indeed. I, I think uh, it's, it's worth looking at some of the text just to make clear um, how this works. Uh, sure. The part you're just talking about, he'd been fined 400 uh, uh, ounces of, of gold, uh, which is a lot. I mean, it's a lot. Um, and um, the the king had said, no, no, once once Zadi gives his explanation, um, no, no, um, I, he should get his money back. So And he's avoided, the, this happened before he was whipped, so he avoids that. So the king sends uh, his ministers out to return uh, the money to him. Uh, they were sent to carry back his 400 ounces. They retained only 398 of them to defray the expenses of justice. So justice is very costly to those people who mm-hmm. are getting justice. Okay, Indeed. Zadig saw how extremely dangerous it, it sometimes is to appear too knowing, and therefore resolved that on the next occasion he would not tell what he had seen. Such an opportunity soon offered. A prisoner of state made his escape and passed under the windows of Zadig's house. Um, but when Zadig was asked about it, um, he said that he hadn't seen anything, just as you said, Jesse. For this crime, that is of not actually bearing witness when it was clear he'd be able to, he was condemned to pay 500 ounces of gold. And according to the polite custom of Babylon, he thanked his justices, his judges for their indulgence. I mean, that's not a polite custom at all. (laughs) Great God, he said to himself in the last paragraph of the story. What a misfortune it is to walk in a wood through which the queen's dog or the king's horse have passed. How (laughs) dangerous to look out at a window and how difficult to be happy in this life. Now, this is the exact opposite of where we begin. At the beginning, he goes to the wood because that's the place where he says he's going to be able to make discoveries and find happiness. So Zadig has been completely turned around in his beliefs, neither of which are correct, of course. As you say, you know, it's always you're damned if you do and damned if you don't with Voltaire. Mm-hmm. But if we realize that the queen's dog 
is a metonym for the dog, for the queen, and or I should say the servants of the queen. And the king's horse is a metonym for the service of the servants of the king. Um, then what we see is how what a misfortune it is to walk through the wood, that is to walk in an uncivilized domain through which the servants of the king and queen have passed. Mm-hmm. How dangerous it is to look out. Okay, in other words, the king and queen may actually be perfect. They may have perfect knowledge and they may be just. Mm-hmm. But if they are not willing to enforce their justice, but turn it over to ministers who maintain a system that allows them to be the king and queen, in fact, we have an unjust world ruled by misrule by the king and queen. And their justices are what bring it out. If I may, I want to go a little bit, just a little bit further as to how this works. We get back to the question of what do we see in the story? How dangerous to look out at a window? That is, how dangerous to observe things? Now, in the beginning of the story, being able to observe well was what distinguished Zadig. Now he says, how dangerous to look out of a window, how happy, how difficult it is to be happy in this life. Now, who is it that he was to have seen? A prisoner of state made his escape and passed under the windows of Zadig's house. Well, Voltaire spent most of his adult life in exile, exactly because France, the king, and the ministers did not like what he was saying. He lived for a while in England. His most famous patron was the, uh, was the ruler of Prussia. Voltaire knew exactly how dangerous it was to observe. And so he made his observations as if they were something about something else. But anybody who was alive in 18th century France knew damn well which king and queen he was talking about and how they were raping the people through the putative system of justice. I, I, I think it's also fun that that seeing out the window a prisoner making his escape, a prisoner of the state, he, who he himself was just minutes ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, he, he says, huh, I have an option here. I can, I can say, yes, uh, I did see a prisoner making his escape and probably get in trouble for that. <laughs> or I can say nothing um, and get in trouble for that. He didn't <laughs> think he would, but he got in trouble for that. No matter what, you end up being a prisoner of the state. So at least he has the honor of not um, ratting out his fellow prisoner. That's true. That is true. I like that. Uh, but it's also clear that that honor comes at a cost to him. And I don't just mean the 502 ounces of gold. I mean that in the beginning of the story, he had believed that it was possible to find happiness. And realizing that he's in a world controlled by other men, other people, who have their places and power because they are in the system of the state, he comes to realize how difficult it is to be happy in this life. Interestingly, he doesn't say it's impossible. And I think maybe the reason Voltaire doesn't say that it's impossible is because you can get happy if you get to pull off a trick like this. (laughs) Indeed. You know, Uh, I think there's... There is a a deeper level yet, or I should say a supplemental level. This whole story, and this puts it in the context of the entire book of Zadig, um, can be seen as talking about male-female relations. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it is a eunuch that tra- goes after the queen's dog, and Zadig connect corrects him and says, "No, it's a bitch," because he sees the the line of the dugs uh, in the dust. Um, and the the question is, are you looking for something you're missed that's missing? <laughs> well, of course, we know what eunuchs are missing. And the eunuch serves the queen, and queens are missing something as well uh, in a patriarchal society. Now, the, the horse that escapes, um, it escapes from the jockey, but it's not the jockey who goes out to find him. It's the chief huntsman. So we have in the eunuch and the chief huntsman symbols of femaleness, presumably females being um, reduced males, and extreme maleness. And both of them are ineffectual. This happens while Zadig is wandering in the woods because he needs a retreat from having had a miserable relationship with a wife. That's what's in the first. It wasn't only it wasn't only miserable, though, because as it is written in the book of Zend, the first month of marriage is the moon of honey. Whereas only the second month is the moon of Wormwood. I think this is just a wonderful (laughs) Wormwood. (laughs) It's such a wonderful twist on marriage. Right. What could be more bitter? And then what he says is, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to... Zadig himself is so incredibly immodest. Um, No man, said he, can be happier than a philosopher, he says, when he decides to go out uh, and find happiness in the study of nature who reads in this great book, which God hath placed before our eyes, the truths he discovers are his own. He nourishes and exalts his soul. He lives in peace and so on and so forth. Um, and his tenders, and he will be happy and his tender spouse will not come out to cut off his nose, which of course sounds like a castration itself. And the next paragraph, we get the eunuch come in, right? So um, in fact, Zadig is saying that when he discovers a truth in God's book, it's Zadig's truth. Mm-hmm. No, it's God's truth. Zadig is willing to put himself up as the the wiser one than God. No wonder he winds up suffering and being unable to be happy. Because the fact is, he's not wiser. He's not even wiser than other people. When the eunuch and the huntsman deny mm-hmm. that Zadig has seen those things, that, that he has uh, denied that Zadig's assertion that he hasn't seen those things. They're just following Occam's razor. Mm-hmm. You know, they got where they got because they know how to function in the world. And Zadig yeah. doesn't. Yeah, he's rash, uh, rash, rational. He's ratiocinated himself uh, to have knowledge, but he hasn't gained any wisdom. When you're dealing with the, with the chief eunuch and the, and the master huntsman. Um, probably not wise to, you know, play a little game with them. <laughs> Just tell them that they're off in that direction. That Absolutely. You observe, right? I mean, that's that's the funny part is that all of the troubles that he has are not wholly brought on himself, but are largely brought on by his own foolishness. And so, again, with your insight about Voltaire wanting it one way and the other, Voltaire, a man in exile who couldn't keep his big mouth shut, is able to write a story that shows us the wisdom of keeping your big mouth shut <laughs> and doing it in such a way that he, in fact, gets to open his big mouth. Yep. 
So if somebody were to read this story and not know anything about its date of publication, didn't know 18th century France, didn't know anything about Voltaire, um, and presumably Voltaire's own contemporary audience would know nothing about Poe or Conan Doyle. Um, they could read this as a satire of the justice system. Um, and it is. But would you say, going back to our original question, if they did that, it would be a misrepresentation of this story or simply um, a failure to gain so much of what is, in fact, in the story, including the failure of the justice system? It would be the latter. It's, it's, it's not simply a satire of French justice. It's, it's much more than that. And I think that that's true with uh, science fiction as well. It's it, it maybe not true of most um, detective fiction, but I think that this, this isn't quite there. It, it is a detective story without a mystery to be really solved because the proposition is not about how do we solve this mystery? The proposition is how do we get through life? And I think it, it works on a level of satire, but only partially that way. I think it's got a lot more going on. It's, it's much more universal. You know, I think maybe I misunderstood what you meant when you said it's the second. I agree with you that this is about how to get on in life. And to that extent, it seems to me that if one comes away and thinks this is a satire of the French system of justice in the 18th century, in fact, one has missed the point mm -hmm. and has not understood the story. It's not just that the story can be read more deeply. It seems to me that if one doesn't read it deeply, uh, one is really reading a different story. Indeed. But there's always more to say, isn't there? <laughs>